here at the parable of the sower. And I want to read the first nine verses. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. The fowls came, devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. Because they had no root, they withered away, and some fell among thorns. The thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who have ears to hear, let them hear. Now I want to quickly start off by saying this is not a parable about gardening. Because very often when people think about this and the four types of soil, they think that that is what this parable is about. In fact, it's not even trying to show us how to develop good farming practices. But a parable was used in order to convey a number of truths in a story that people could relate to. So of course, Jesus used stories that had to do with agriculture, especially in this case, because it was something that people could readily identify with. The same way all of us in here tonight could identify with this. But a parable is, as Jesus tells us later, is something that reveals the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So let's think of a parable as telling a story about the reign of God, about the dominion of God, about the people of God in covenant with God. Now we know from Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus moved to Galilee in order to fulfill some prophecies out of the Old Testament. And the Bible says in Matthew 4, verse 23, he traveled all around Galilee teaching. And then we learn from chapter 9, he traveled to every village teaching the word of God. And then we learn from chapter 11, verse 1, that he continued to go from village to village teaching people the word of God. With all the miracles that he did, Great supernatural signs and wonders. You can expect there were a lot of multitudes of people. So when chapter 13 comes and it says he stepped out of the house and sat by the seaside and there were great multitudes, you know that some of these people were folks who had been listening to him as he traveled around Galilee and Matthew's gospel of all the gospels primarily deals with Jesus's travels in Galilee. So he goes out and he sits by the seaside. Now there are those who say that in ancient times the rabbis would sit down on a chair and kind of like a place of authority and begin to teach. This says he went up into a boat. Now, if you've, if you've ever been to the ocean, then you know if somebody stood along the ocean, 
with their back to the water or even in the water and everybody else was on the shore, it would be very difficult to hear the person who is talking because the sound of the crashing of the waves and the tide coming in is very noisy. But on the Sea of Galilee, if someone is in a ship or standing by that seaside, it's a lot quieter because it is a big lake. So you don't have the large crashing waves like you would have at an ocean side. And Jesus climbs up in a ship and the whole multitude stood. Now I've thought about that. You've got older people, you've got younger people, you've got kids. How long would you be willing to stand and listen to somebody teach the word? How long would you be willing to stand outdoors and listen to the gospel proclaimed and the kingdom of the God, kingdom of God ministered to you? I have no doubt that some of these people came from great distances. And having come that far, they did not expect to leave quickly. It's kind of like some of the services when we travel abroad, people who come from a long way, they don't expect an hour service. They are looking for three and four hours of service. And praise and worship goes on and on and on. And preachers don't typically do a 30 to 45 minute teaching like we'll have it here in the States. They'll teach at least an hour and 45 minutes. Imagine, though, doing that outside by the water where it's beautiful and where it's cool. I'm sure all of you in here tonight, you'd stand there for at least three or four hours and listen to Pastor Darrell. Oh, yes, just three or four hours. And right about the time, I pray that closing prayer, Abigail would say, Pastor, are you sure you're done? You've got more to say? Well, verse 3 Jesus spoke a lot of things, and he put them in parables. So again, in a story-like form. I don't want to say it was fiction. It wasn't like a once-upon-a-time kind of story, but I do want you to understand that what he taught, he put it in a form people can understand. So he told the story. There was a man coming down into uh, Jerusalem, and, and here was a man that fell among thieves, as he's making his descent. Or he talks about the lady who had a, a precious coin that was important to her. She lost it. She swept the whole house trying to find that coin. Well, in verse 3, he talks about the sower. Now, this is a parable about Jesus spreading the word. How do we know that? Look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, then comes the wicked one. So Jesus is the sower. Everywhere he is traveling, he is spreading the seed. And the four types of soil represent the four types of hearts that you find amongst the covenant children of Israel. These are people that have a relationship with God. This is what the kingdom of God is about. And Jesus is trying to show us that within the kingdom of God, you have people whose hearts are like stony places. You have people whose hearts 
have no root, of course. They're thorny. You've got individuals whose hearts are like the wayside. This is what he's talking about. So when someone hears the word of God and doesn't understand, here comes the wicked one and catches away what was sown in his heart. Now, now this is why it's so important when anybody teaches the Bible to make sure they teach it in such a way people can understand it. Even a six-year-old should be able to hear the gospel, understand a Bible lesson, because if there's no understanding, then just like the birds come and gobble up the seeds, the devil comes and robs us of understanding. So if a, if a person is going to scatter seed, the last thing they want to do is put it where it's not going to produce. That's the wayside. The ground is hard. It's been tramped underfoot by one person over and over again or 10 people or 100 people. And you know how it, how it is if you have a trail that goes from your house to a particular building or a tree, then you know that you wear a path there and that pretty soon becomes dirt. And when it's dirt, you keep walking on it and it becomes hardened clay. You drop some seed on top of that, nothing's going to grow. And that's why, that's why the birds will be able to come and grab it. And unless you come with a tiller or something like that and plow that up and turn that soil over, it's not going to produce anything. So Jesus is saying that the person who hears the word of God and they don't understand it, they're like the wayside, the road by the field or the road through the field. Now, if you go in your Bible at this time, to John chapter 6, I'll show you exactly how this operates when a person doesn't have understanding. In John chapter 6, verse 55, Jesus said, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Now listen to me. If someone were to have read this to you and you had never been in church in your life, do you think you would find this repulsive? Likely. If you didn't have the context and no one had explained to you who Jesus was, this would not have even registered to you. But Jesus continued to teach in verse 61. He knew in himself that his disciples murmured and he asked the question, does this offend you? He's talking to them about him being the blood and the bread from heaven. Well, he continued teaching and look at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with them. Why? Because they had no understanding of what he was saying. And you think of how many people hear God's word day after day, week after week, and all of that seed is lost and never produces a harvest because of a lack of understanding. In fact, Hosea says it this way. My people perish because of what? A lack of knowledge. What we don't know really does hurt us. So the word of God has to be explained in a way that is clear and is understandable so that we can grasp 
the meaning of what Jesus is saying as well as the context in which he's saying it. So let's go back now to Matthew 13 and look at what he said in verse 5. Some fell upon the stony places where they didn't have a whole lot of earth. And because of that, it sprung up, but then the sun came and it fell away because it didn't have any kind of root. Well, I think this is, this is very important because when we think of our relationship with God, we do have to do what we can to have some kind of depth to us. Our spiritual life should not be 10 miles wide and an inch and a half deep, but our relationship with God should be deep because we need a place for the incorruptible seed to take root. I've told you plenty of times that when you put a seed in the ground, and as the Bible says, except the corn of wheat die. See? So when the seed breaks open, then pretty soon you have all of these tendrils that start breaking out and going in different directions. And every tree, every bush, every form of vegetation has its own rootage, its own kind. So once those roots go down deep, then it's easier for all of that to come up. But remember, the roots are growing very often before you ever see the first sheaf that sticks its head above ground. And you know as well as I do that some of those things that grow in your yard, you reach for them and you think, from looking at it, this is just a small little plant and I'm just going to grab it and pull it up. And then when you reach for it and grab it, then you realize that the roots are deeper and longer beneath the soil than what you're seeing above the soil. And when you pull it, you immediately pull all the leaves off. And then now you look at that thing and you've got to start digging all around it. And so here he's saying there is no situation like that with the person on stony ground. If we are like the children of Israel and we've allowed our heart to become so hardened that the word can't penetrate, soon as the word goes in, it'll spring up. But when the sun hits it, it withers and dies. That means quickly. And we've all seen people who start off fast with God and then fall away. I asked the people last night in um, the fellowship as I was teaching, I said, I wonder if everybody who ever had come through that fellowship, if they all came back, would there be room inside that place? No, there wouldn't. And if everybody that's ever come through here would all come back on one day, would there be room in here? No. Absolutely not. But here's what I do know. It is possible for all of us to walk with God and maintain a strong relationship with God, but it's also possible for the sun to shine in such a way that it scorches our relationship. Now, I oftentimes keep in contact with people who leave our fellowships and move away or go here, or go there. And, and a lot of that is because sometimes people just want to keep in touch to call and talk to me and ask questions or something like that. Some people want to text and, 
you know, just kind of maintain a good relationship or something. But I have noticed this, that if people don't get plugged into a good fellowship and maintain a right heart with the king, I've seen them where they just start falling away from God. The, the heat from troubles come and cause them to just die and wither away. And notice the last sentence there of verse 6. They withered away. Now, they wouldn't have withered if they had depth. So the sun isn't the problem. Sunshine isn't the problem. The same sun that causes vegetation to grow is also the same sun that produces the heat that hardens clay. So the sun isn't the problem. The problem is our heart, and there were plenty of people listening to Jesus, and they started off saying, oh, yes, Lord, I want to be your follower. Absolutely, I want to serve you. Then fall away. We've seen a lot of young people do that and, and have uh, rallies. And, I mean, young people get so excited. Oh, yes, I want to give my all to Jesus. And they come down and say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then they have to start counting the cost of what it means to walk with God and embrace the cross and carry it, walk with Jesus. And then sometimes that joy passes away. But then he said also in verse, verse, uh, verse 7 that some fell among the thorns. Interesting. Now let's back up just a couple of chapters to Matthew 11. And I want to make one further remark about the scorching sun and about the stony place. And then we'll move right into those thorns. In Matthew 11, notice in verse 2, John heard in the prison the works of Christ. He sent two disciples and said to him, are you he that should come or do we look for another? Jesus said, go show yourself again to John. Go show him the things you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now here, here's, the, here's the thing. If serving God is going to produce troubles and trials, then we kind of need to be ready for that, don't you think? Yeah, we, we kind of need to be ready for that. If, if you look here in verse 21, it says, verse 20, excuse me, the one that received the seed into the stony places hears the word and with joy receives it, but he doesn't have the root in himself to endure, and when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he's offended. Now, John the Baptist was Jesus' relative. Let's never forget that. He was the one who was in his mama's womb when Mary went to visit John's mama, and the babe leaped in her womb. And then when John the Baptist got older, rather than becoming a priest like his dad, he became a prophet, and he was hiding out in the deserts, and he was eating a strange diet. But one day God spoke to him and said, you're going to prophesy about your cousin Jesus. So when Jesus came, here's what John the Baptist said. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
because John the Baptist had been preaching, repent, turn, come to God. And so when Jesus came, then he waded out into the water. John the Baptist baptized him. Then he came up. Spirit of God came down. And it's at that point, John the Baptist said, I've got to ease on down the road and decrease so that he can increase. Talking about Jesus. So he knew Jesus was the Christ. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew he was anointed. He knew of the power of God. But yet we just read in Matthew 11, starting with verse 2, that he's in prison now and he's asking the question, are you the Messiah? Well, I thought he already had announced he was the Messiah. What happened then? Well, somewhere in between the announcement, the persecution, and the incarceration, he had questions. He had questions. And we see this very often. Even the best of men and women, if we're not careful, what we announce on one day later in life can become questionable to us. If we're not careful. Now, I'm certain that there are a lot of people who have endured for a while and walked away from the covenant they had in God because they didn't understand something or something didn't work out. How many thousands of people do you believe there are that walked away from God after the Holocaust that were of Jewish background and came to the conclusion, and here's what they said, how can there be a God that would let us go through that kind of horror and atrocity and millions of people have died. And that's, that's a question that many of them have asked and that's a question many of them have raised. And the, the brief time that I lived in Israel, we all knew that apart from the Orthodox Jews with the long curls who dressed in black, the greater population of Israel were atheists. They did not believe in God. And if you ever talk to them, and I've talked to several of them when I used to go play basketball when I lived over there, we'd sit around the basketball court and they'd make it very plain. How, how can you be a Christian and talk about God with what we went through? But here's the thing. We, we should never focus on just how badly we've been treated. Sin has been in this world for a long time. And it's not just that the Jews, Jewish people were treated bad during World War II. You can go back and read the history of the book. They, they had terrible things that happened to them in their history. But let me add this. So did a lot of other people. Think about it. The Armenian genocide in Turkey was so bad during World War I, they don't even know how many of them died. But I knew a lot of Armenians when I lived in Istanbul, Turkey, for 16 months, and they all told me that the government will never even acknowledge the Armenian genocide. But the Armenians still walk with God. See, They still are, in, by and large, Christian. I've told people over and over again, just because a people group in ancient history or in recent times was enslaved, that's no reason to turn your back on God. And just because trouble comes to you, there's no reason to turn your back on God. And I, and I know the reply. The reply is, well, you don't understand. And it's true. You, you take people that live in the Middle East and you ask them to become a Christian and then to become a Christian, sometimes a, a, a father or a mother loses all of their kids in an instant. 
Because the, 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 the wife finds out the husband's become a Christian. They take the wife, the kids, they all go back to their parents. And the dad now has accepted Christ. And he's saying, what kind of life is this? I'll never see my kids again. Or when ISIS had charge of Iraq and uh, Syria, think of the people that were butchered, crucified, lost their lives. Plenty of Christians were praying, saying, oh God, deliver me. I've told you in the past about the Rwandan genocide, when the Hutus and those folks were fighting each other. A lot of people died back in the 90s during that war. And Harry told me that story of him going to a church and was walking around in the middle of the night and there's all this broken concrete and the church had been bulldozed and blown up. And he said he's walking around on all of this concrete and these little small stones and pebbles hearing these crunching sounds only to take the flashlights and look down and realize they weren't walking on pebbles and stones. They were walking on broken bones. There are a whole lot of people that fled into the church building, believing that the building had supernatural power from God to preserve them and the Hutus and whoever else they were fighting, Tootsies or something. They all came in there with machetes and just start killing people. So there are a lot of people that have lost their faith because of trouble. So don't, don't, don't think for a second that it hasn't happened and don't think for a second that it isn't going to happen again. I just want you to know that if we're going to serve God, we've got to be willing to trust him no matter what. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. But at the cross, he was there publicly with his faith. The Bible says in John 19, verse 38, that uh, Joseph of Arimathea, he was a disciple of Jesus. Then it has this phrase, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Because the Jews in the Gospel of John had said, if any of you believe in Jesus, you will be kicked out of the synagogue. I can tell you a whole lot of stories of people that I've known who were Roman Catholic, who left the Roman Catholic Church and were excommunicated and shunned by family. And the family said, we're not talking to you again until you come back to the mother church. I can tell you all kinds of stories about people who walked away from the Jehovah's Witness. And because they walked away from it, nobody in the family even talked to them. And it's likely, unlikely, they'll ever speak to them again. But the scripture tells us very plainly, we should not be the kind of people that receive the word of God with joy. And then when trouble comes, turn our backs on God. Count the cost. And think about what it really means to serve God. This is what the parable of the sower is about. It, it's about Jesus spreading the word all around Galilee and Israel. And it's about the different types of people that hear what he has to say. So look at verse 22. But he that received the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choked the word and he becomes unfruitful. Notice he becomes unfruitful. It's not that he wasn't unfruitful. It's not that she wasn't unfruitful, but she became unfruitful. The care of this world. I think the Apostle Paul told some single people one time in 1 Corinthians, if you can stand it and you can abide as I, then just stay single. Because he said when you get married, 
then you're truly going to be concerned about how to please your spouse. And there's no doubt about that. When, when you're single, you only have to worry about you. But the day you say, I do, and you enter into a covenant with someone else, at that point, you are concerned about how can I please this man or this woman, the care of this world. And if those cares become so great that you put the cares for that person above God, then quite naturally, your spiritual life is going to suffer. It will. I mean, think of all the men around the world today who are sitting back thinking of ways to make their wife happy if it's their birthday. A lot of them. Dreaming up things. What can I do to please my wife? Think of what happens at Christmas time. How wives, they, 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 they look for ways to please their spouses. They give their spouses sometimes all those books and guns that they want. Oh, it's a good wife. I'm telling good wives. Hey, yes, it works out well. If you go shopping on Big Iron, that wife says, that's yours right there. You can have it. Well, verse 22 says the deceitfulness of riches. Do you realize that that wealth is fleeting? One day you have it, one day you don't. We spend most of our life, our youth, our energy, our strength trying to acquire wealth. Then by the time we get older and our body, if it doesn't stay healthy, then we have to spend all the wealth in order to try to gain the health again. And you know as well as I do. Healthcare, medicine, all of that is expensive. But when we talk about the deceitfulness of riches, here's what we want you to know. The more of it that you have, very often the more of it you want. And there is no sin in being wealthy. Let me make that very clear. Abraham was wealthy. God blessed him. Solomon was wealthy. God made him that way. Jacob and Abraham, Isaac, all of them were blessed with their cattle and all of that. They were blessed. God has never had a problem with riches. What God has a problem with is when those riches and that wealth so controls us that it causes us to become unfruitful in the things of God. Now, a good illustration of this is in Matthew 19. In Matthew 19 and verse 16, there's somebody that came to Jesus and said, good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he had eternal life in his thinking. He was, he was concerned about it. He's obviously listening to Jesus. So Jesus says in verse 17, why are you calling me good? There's nobody good but God. But if you're going to enter into life, keep the commandments. So the Lord was saying, there's a way. For you to enjoy life, you got to obey the scripture. So the young man said to Jesus, which ones? So Jesus started quoting the ones out of the Ten Commandments. If you do all of this, everything's going to be fine for you. That'll be, that'll be good. So verse 20, the young man said, all of these I've kept from my youth. So he's been doing this. He's been adhering to these, but he still has no assurance in his heart. He doesn't even believe he has eternal life. That's why he's talking to Jesus. And he said, what do I lack? And Jesus said, if you'll be perfect, 
Go sell what you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. He obviously didn't have any there, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. We, we could say it better, the possessions had him. They controlled him. Listen, the, the more that we have, the more we have to be concerned with maintaining to whom much is given, much is required. So God gives us things, and with those things, he gives us responsibilities. And let's be honest, just like the young man, everybody cannot adequately juggle the cares of this world and possessions and God. Some people just don't do well with it. Some people have God over here, they have all these other things, and they struggle with the idea that He's number one, and he's responsible for all of this here. Because we have a tendency to think of our gifts, our talents, our ingenuity. But as quick as we got it, we could lose it. Yeah, we, we could lose it. You, you take Warren Buffett or somebody like that. I wish somebody could have an open, frank discussion with him or Bill Gates or anybody or uh, Mr. Soros or somebody like that and just ask some questions like this. Somebody like you, would you be interested in giving your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and surrendering all to him and pledging to give to the Lord 10% of all that you earn annually? I guarantee they laugh. They laugh. The, the idea that, that they haven't made themselves and made their businesses and built it up from the ground up, the idea that they would then turn around and give 10% to some church or some preacher, they'd be thinking, what church or what preacher is even worthy of all that I'm worth? What preacher would I ever want to put that kind of money in his hands or her hands? Well, folks, listen. When... People are possessed of their possessions. They lay awake at night trying to hold on to them, and the responsibilities very often become so great that as the Scripture says in Matthew chapter 13, all of these things make someone unfruitful. Unfruitful. I've had a lot of pastors ask me, how can you preach in different places and try to pastor different people in different churches and, and do weddings and funerals and baptisms and dedications and, and all of that. How can you do that without having a nervous breakdown or losing your mind or not knowing where you're supposed to be and not getting confused and all of that? And, and I have to be honest, it is a chore, however... There, there are a couple of things I know. It, it can only work if I've got people to help me. And, and then the, the second thing is I, I can't have a whole lot of high-maintenance people. So I have to tell them, you have to teach your congregation so that they actually grow in God. Because if, if they only know God through a minister or through some leaders, they'll never have a relationship with God like they have. And I say, I don't mind new believers and people calling me and asking me questions about Scripture. I don't mind anybody calling me and asking me questions and stuff like that. But if somebody who has 
a Bible and a concordance and a telephone and all of that. And they start calling or texting every four minutes, Pastor, where's this verse at? Pastor, where's this verse at? Pastor, where's this verse at? Then eventually I'm going to ask a question like, can't you look in the concordance in the back of your Bible or don't you want to check your center column references and they'll kind of lead you to these verses? Or if someone, you know, is, is, is having difficulties, we want to be there for anybody. But we all have to grow in God, see, grow in God. Because God's plan for us is that we be fruitful. So verse 22 says in Matthew 13, the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches choked the word and he becomes unfruitful. So he was manifesting fruit, but somehow he got twisted and turned around and got wrapped up, tied up and tangled up in all of this stuff. And pretty soon he or she stopped manifesting what God was doing through them. I've seen people lose the manifestation of the gifts of the spirit. I've seen people lose their prayer lives. I've seen people lose a lot of things when the cares of this world become so great. But then notice what he says about the good ground in verse 23, speaking about people who receive the seed. They hear, they understand, they bear fruit, they bring forth. Then you have 160 and 30 fold. So let's ask God to help our hearts to be good ground. So if you want good ground, here's some things we, we have to be willing to do over and over again. In the different times of the year, of course, when people are thinking about planting, then, of course, they've got to set a schedule and get in their mind how they're going to prepare the soil before planting. So somebody's got to get out there and, you know, do something. If you're going to garden, you've got to get a tiller or something out there to turn the earth over because if the good stuff is down underneath, then you're going to have to turn that over and flip it over so that when you plant, you have it go down into the soil and then eventually it's going to grow as it gets its moisture. So is our hearts. Our hearts have to be kept in a state of repentance and humility before God. Father, help me to live humble. We got to pray that prayer. Have to be willing to repent every day for wrong things we do, wrong things we say, wrong th things we think. And as the Spirit of God applies the knife to this heart, He's constantly preparing this heart to receive the seed. The Word of God is the seed, it's the incorruptible seed. There's nothing wrong with the seed. If there's a problem, the problem has to be in our heart when it comes to manifesting this life of Christ. And of course, even though you can have all the same seed, you can see from the last sentence of verse 23, there's not necessarily a uniformity of the harvest. So here's somebody that'll be out harvesting and they're expecting this field to supply this particular yield and it doesn't supply it. But then here comes another set up part of the land, other acreage, and they're thinking, okay, well, this is gonna, not going to be so good, and then it turns out to be better. See? But the seed is productive when placed in the earth. We don't know what the seed is going to do. We just simply have to plant the seed. Put the word in the heart, leave the production to God. 
He'll do the harvesting. He'll do everything that needs to take place. If we need a hundredfold at this time through our life, he'll provide it. If we need 30-fold, he'll provide it. If we need 60-fold, he'll provide it. But always expect some kind of provision. Don't ever plant seed without expecting some kind of provision. And, of course, it's all in the seed. The, uh, you, you, think about, you think about how tall the, the trees grow. Why do you think trees go so high and then they just stop? They don't grow anymore. And you, you think about some trees that uh, older they get, sometimes they get a little wider, get a little wider, but they don't get any taller. It's because all of the makeup is in the seed. All of us in here right now are products of seed. That means you come to a point in your life where you hit this height and you don't grow any taller. It doesn't matter how tall, how short your parents are. You get right here, right here, right here, and nothing else happened because it's all in the seed. And when we walk with God, we have the right to expect that what he has put in us informing us is going to be a blessing. So, folks, it's great to know that our lives are a constant harvest for the seed that we put in. If we don't put any seed in, we don't get any harvest out. Amen. No doubt about it. No seed in. No harvest that comes out. But if we take the time to allow God to do what he wants to do, we have a right to expect that he's going to produce a harvest. The parable of the sower is about all the different types of people that heard Jesus when he traveled and spread the word. And even so it is right now with us as a church and the body of Christ around the earth. You have different types of people in the church listening to the word of God. Let's pray and ask God to make our hearts good ground. Yeah. Father, we are so grateful that we could take the time to look into your word. That parable speaks clearly to all of us. And God, we really do want to harvest in our lives, in our church. I pray, Lord, that you would allow your word to bring forth a hundredfold in all of our lives. This, O oh God, we pray for in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, 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 amen. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, on Sunday, uh, Mr.